Let you finish. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to Dr. Mama's Christian Podcast, the Christian podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously. I'm your host, Shane. Eric. Uh, you were doing some corn right there, huh? <laughs> oh, wow. No, that's disturbed. That's disturbed. Yeah. For, uh, freak on a leash. Oh, yeah. That was, Feeling man, that was my. on a leash. That was that was '90s Eric right there. Uh, I was I was rocking that in middle. I remember eighth grade. There was two camps. There was the Eminem camp and the Corn camp. And I was in the Corn camp for some reason. But where's your Jenko jeans with your chain wallet? You know, I did have a chain wallet. Um, Studded belt. Yeah, like I remember there was like a uh, a turf war between the people that like the rock music and people like rap. A turf war. In middle school, in eighth grade, yep, I remember. And, and at, at your at your middle in school, my middle was? school, yeah, not really a turf war, but there was definitely groups uh. that I was like, oh, I bet they they like rap, like we'd make fun of them. <laughs> <laughs> they would make fun of us, but yeah. Uh, so you're a big corn guy, huh? Mm. Speaking of corn, um, <laughs> so Easter's coming up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so yeah, you being a pastor, uh-huh. uh, we are. I mean, this is this is it. This is work. Eric, let me just say this: enjoy this week. Yeah, this year because this is the last time that you will ever have a <laughs> I, calm spring break. Seriously, it was like I, I told Erica because I worked I worked a lot of hours last week. Mm-hmm. Like I probably worked fifty six hours last week, so um, that's a little humble brag. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I worked like extra more than I normally do last week, so I was like, so, so I told, now you don't have to work this week. So I told Erica, hey, I don't have a lot of stuff I got to do this week, um, and she's on spring break, so I was like, I'm gonna work like I'll work three days, four days, but I'll take Friday off and we'll just have more yeah. relaxing, more relaxing week. You're going to have a relaxing week right oh, before Easter, goodness. right? Yeah. This, this is the last year that you're not going to be a pastor, um, you know, before. I, I am a pastor. Well, I mean, currently. like at a, at a church. Yeah. Church, we, yeah. we don't have, yeah, we're planting a church yeah. we haven't planted yet. And, uh, oh my goodness, the Easter week is always just, it's just crazy. It, there's, it, there's so much pressure. It's, yeah, a, it's a lot of pressure going into Easter. So you have spring fling. That's a lot of work. Yeah, so you we have, have a lot of visitors for that. Saturday, which is a Easter egg hunt, uh, game. Everyone knows candy. if you go to a church, you know what spring fling is. Yeah, they all yeah, do it. Yeah, and um, and and you should do it. If you if you don't, you're missing out on a great opportunity because every every year that we do it, there are so many new people that come. Yeah. Um, and uh, and if just one of them comes to church the next day and finds Jesus, it was all worth it. Yeah. You know, and so. It, but but it's a lot of work that goes into it. But if it, none of them come back, then then we just won't ever do it. That, <laughs> because there's no way that you maybe planted to see that somebody else will. Oh, right, right. If you don't yeah. want, if anyone I don't else, see the results. <laughs> yeah, of yeah. It. That's that's how the gospel works, right? If I don't see the results, then it was not worth yeah, my right, time. Right. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, with spring fling and uh, um, and so we don't own a building. But I when I when I worked at Crossroads, we had. A good Friday service Friday, Friday night, and I would have youth group Wednesday, good Friday service Friday, spring fling Saturday, and then Easter on Sunday. It was and, and setting up. So like we would have to have the spring fling on Saturday and then after it was done, we'd have to set up everything for church because there's special things and it looks different and it's you know, it's Easter, it's a big deal. So it, it's you have to set up more chairs. More chairs, that. there's and different decorations and it's just so much that goes into it, and and it now it, it's not quite as bad, but there's there's just more pressure because I'm preaching on Easter and being the lead pastor, you're thinking about okay, everything has to be perfect. You want you want to really be some weeks you can just slide by with a sermon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know you just finish a sermon. But you later know what? In the week. When 
I've heard you preach enough and you've heard me preach enough. I can tell some of the weeks that you had a little less time to uh-huh. prepare. Yeah. And I can tell some of the weeks like he was prepared. You want, like, you want to be honest? You want me to be honest? Yeah. This past week, I felt that way. You know what? You want to be honest? I could tell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> There's yeah. times where like uh, Frank, who's, who we've had on before yeah. that his band does the intro and outro song. There's been times where he's texting me after a sermon. Oh, So I preached yesterday. We had a worship vision night for church plant. And he texted me afterwards and said, Dude, you did a really good job. I could tell you were very prepared. Yeah. Which implies that other times you're not. There are times <laughs> when I could tell you're not that prepared. Yeah. And I yeah. know that I can when I preach, I know when I'm like really prepared or when I only had a couple of days to prepare and my the, sermon. But the funny part about it is it isn't even always just being prepared time wise. It's like being prepared spiritually. Because there are times where I put in so much time into a sermon and then I still give it and I'm like, I just wasn't and that's oh. kind of how I felt with this past one. Like it just wasn't quite there. Like Lauren, Lauren was in nursery, so she didn't see me preach. And she asked me, she's like, "How'd it go?" I was like, "It was. I mean, it went well. It's just, it didn't. It didn't feel like it. It, it landed as much as other ones. It's weird, dude. It, how many times know. have you had like? It was a Thursday or Friday morning. Thursday morning, Friday morning, where you're just like literally, like, God, I need help because oh, yeah. I don't know what I'm preaching. There's like, sometimes like I have an idea, but yep. I can't put it together. I don't yep. like. I've Absolutely. done that many times, I, and I have to, I have to like stop and come back to it the next day, which which sucks because then it means it's more time and like. Yeah. But uh, there's sometimes where you you prepare a sermon and it just flows. You're like, this is working. Yeah. You know exactly. Just like if you write a paper at school yeah. you, for for a class, sometimes you're like, okay, yeah, it's insert a, your job here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes you know it's just like you know you really able to mop the floor <laughs> is that is that a listener's <laughs> but there there are times where it like it just flows and, and you can <laughs> you mop write. the floor there's really times you can just mop that floor really easy. other times it's a grind other times it's like the, the mop's not working great the- <laughs> but there are times where like you write a sermon and and it I could get it done in a few hours and then there are times where it takes me days and I'm like this it's- is it's so hard. Yeah, it just, you still don't feel like you had a good product, yeah, it good just, sermon at the end. And, and it's it just the way that it is. It just happens, you know. But but with Easter coming up this week, there's there's just a lot of pressure, and and you can get overwhelmed and swamped, and and feel like you're not fully prepared because you're doing so many things. Yeah, um, and and that happens, man. That happens a lot with with when it comes to any kind of job where you feel like you just don't have the time to do it. But you don't want that to happen. Yeah. This week for Easter week, yeah, um, obviously, but yeah, like I when I preached this past Sunday, I hadn't preached, I haven't had to make a sermon or create a new sermon for a couple months. Yeah. Every church I've been visiting, I've been doing the same sermon. I was actually getting sick of preaching that oh, sermon. Sure, yeah, I preached it seven times. You know, who was more sick of it. Eric, I haven't <laughs> hear it seven times. <laughs> Every stupid joke, she knows it's coming. Yeah. Here's this joke. Um, so it was actually refreshing to, to when I preached yesterday. But yeah, when you have to do it every week. It's hard to like be original and creative and blah, and all that stuff. But great personal stories. Oh, it's so hard. Yeah. So you just start making them up. Oh yeah. That's what you got to do. Gotta <laughs> no, not at all. Up. I don't do that. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't make them up. I repeat them. <laughs> yeah, you got to. What else are you to do? It's it it's is not like you're living is. life every day and creating new stories every day. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so we, we it's not Shane. Let's not dilly dally too much. Today. I hate it when you use dilly dally <laughs> because. We just had, ooh, hear the voice crack? We just had <laughs> a amazing, awesome, great interview mm-hmm. with the one and only Stone Cold Steve Austin, <laughs> which I'm sure he loves that joke oh. and he's never heard it before. No, yeah. but this and, is. And you use that joke plenty of times in the interview. I I'm know. sure he's, he's <laughs> yeah. really enjoying it. <laughs> you know what? 
it what if it if it entertains me, I'm gonna do it. Uh, but but we interviewed yeah. a guy named Steve Austin. He is a life coach. He's a podcaster. He's an ex pastor. He is a author. Um, he just does a ton of stuff, yeah. and he has a incredible story where you see him go from the lowest of lows to um, God redeeming him and, and taking his life from a spot where they thought um, you could never come out of to doing amazing things. So yeah. we were just really inspired, and really the whole time we just kind of let him go because I, I thought yeah. his he was, it was just pretty riveting, his his story. His story is is absolutely amazing and and, uh, and a story that is that people need to hear. You know, it's something that um, is beneficial for anybody and everybody, whether you deal with um, depression and anxiety and some of the things that he talks about or not, because it also is really beneficial in how to help somebody in one of these situations and, and what to do. Um, but uh, it, it really is amazing to see God work and redeem the, the toughest situation and turn it around and use it for, for good and to help help individuals. So if you if, if you. Um, have never thought about some of these things before. This is a great opportunity to hear the story of somebody who's gone through hell and back, and he, and he talks about that. So, yeah, there's and there's definitely people that are listening that I think are going through something like this, mm-hmm. who are feeling the way that he felt, um, and I think that if you allow it, then this story and and what God did through his life through the worst parts of his life and through the best parts of his life and, and what he's doing with it can really help people. So we really recommend you checking him out. It's You can go to IamSteveAustin.com. He has many books. Um, we we talked about his book, uh, Self-Care for the Wounded Soul. Um, that's that We really encourage you to, to get that. You can get it for six bucks on, on Amazon. Yeah. Um, it's a very practical way when it comes to self-care. We talked about it in the interview. but um, So definitely check him out. But let's get to our interview with Steve. Now, Steve, I imagine you get this all the time, but how many people say something to you about uh, Stone Cold? Who? Stone Cold Steve Austin? Uh, no, I don't. What? That you've got to be kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what's great. I'm looking at your faces and you can't see me. It's so great. <laughs> Who is this guy? Nope, never heard of him. We got to cut this short. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only reason we wanted to have you on. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be highly disappointed that I can't crush a beer can on my yeah. forehead. <laughs> yeah. It, so, obviously, people, whenever they find out your name, they always go, oh, give me the Stone Cold Stunner or something like that. Sure, all the time. Oh, yeah. And okay. then you get from, like, our parents' generation, mm-hmm. there was Steve Austin, who was the $6 million or the Bionic Man. Oh, yeah, which yeah. Which I've never seen. But, yeah, it's two generations. I hate my parents. Not us. We love our parents. Yeah, yeah. Who might be listening. Just kidding. Our dad definitely doesn't listen. Our dad doesn't care. Our dad doesn't care. But, yeah, so, Steve, you do a ton of stuff, like, Give us a rundown of all the things that you do in life. Oh my gosh, that's a, that's uh, a big question. <laughs> it's a, oh wait, it's a it'll be a long answer. I know some of the stuff he does. When I wake up in the morning, <laughs> <laughs> what what uh, titles can you give yourself? Husband, yeah, father, so what I else? Am, yeah, husband uh, of working on eleven years and father of two. Caroline is turning uh, four here in just a couple of days, and then we have a kindergartner, Ben. 
Um, nice. So that's my whole world. Yep. And then everything else is just sort of bonus. So I uh, have been blogging since 2010, uh, written a few books, got a new one coming out here in a few months. I am a former pastor and I'm a life coach and I have a podcast of my own and I do a little speaking and I lead some workshops. And so, yeah, I just get to have a whole lot of fun. You must, you must have a lot of free time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and yet the little bit of free time he has, he's here talking to us. Uh, what a guy. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> so, so you have a crazy story, Steve, and, uh, and we, want, we want to hear a little bit about that and, um, uh, and, and some of the experiences that you've had and with us both being pastors now and knowing that you are a former pastor and, and a little bit that went into that. Give us some background. I know that um, you have some, some things that have happened in your life at a, at a young age. Wherever you feel comfortable uh, talking about, give us a little bit of background in your life. Sure. Yeah, I was um, born and raised in the buckle of the Bible Belt. I'm here in Birmingham, Alabama. Is that where you are now? That's where I am now. Oh, yeah, okay, cool. still here. And um, yeah, born into a, a conservative evangelical Christian home, and um, we were in church every time the doors were open. Pretty, just pretty typical uh, Southern Baptist little family. And um, I was. Um, I was uh, a victim of childhood sexual abuse when I was not quite four. I was a preschooler and um, was abused by the neighbor boy who was 17 at the time. Oh, wow. And Yeah, uh, certainly old enough to know better. Yeah. Um, and the way that played out in a nutshell is um, mom and dad figured things out at bath time. You know, I'm this little bitty kid. And uh, so they figured things out at bath time and started asking some questions. And I told them in whatever three-year-old language I had what happened. And um, tiny, tiny rural Alabama town where everybody knows everybody. Uh-huh. And um, they knew that this kid's dad was a raging alcoholic. And my mom is and has always been champion of the underdog. And somehow, instead of of killing this kid, she found grace. Um, And and unfortunately, it was grace without wisdom, I think. Um, And so how it played out is they threatened this kid within an inch of his life. She was tutoring the kid after school, said, don't ever step foot on our property again. Don't ever come back. Um, or, you know, this will be bad. And, and that was it. And they, in, in their very youngness and, (laughs) um, sort of ignorance, um, thought that, you know, three-year-old Steve would never remember this. And, um, Hey parents, if you have a a child who you suspect has been molested or abused, that's a terrible idea. Get them help. Go now and and get help and do not sweep this under the rug because the truth of the matter is Steve Austin remembered this every day of his life once I had that very first flashback uh, my senior year in high school. So so they were right. So up until your your senior year, you, you didn't remember it. Didn't remember it. Nope, they were right. And then all of a sudden, you things just started coming back to you. Was there anything that brought it up, or was it yeah. just one day? Yeah. So I was um, the sort of star student, golden child, whatever, on top of the world, involved in everything, um, much like I'm involved in everything now. <laughs> that hasn't ended. <laughs> uh, somebody should write a book about self-care. But uh, <laughs> so... Um, 
we were on a field trip. I was part of this uh, youth leadership forum uh, in our district, and they picked, I think, two students from each of the high schools in the district to be a part of this leadership group. And we would take a field trip like once a month and go to um, different government agencies and big businesses and meet with leaders in our community and ask them sort of about leadership in real life. And so on this particular day, we were at the Department of Human Resources, which is uh, like CPS in other states. Yeah. That's Toby uh, from The Office. If you it's ever Toby watch from The Office. <laughs> 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 so, um, yeah, so we're there and we're sitting in this this long uh, – in this conference room at this, this long wooden table, white block walls. And this is where they bring the kids who have been abused, neglected, whatever, and they're going to do you know sort of an intake process with those kids. And all I can think as a senior in high school is this is the most like sterilized environment. There is nothing welcoming about this place. Like where are the toys and the beaten bags? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, so the, the director of the center comes in, and she starts talking about what happens when a kid has been neglected or abused. And she brings out these dolls that they use when a kid has been abused. Um, and so a, a social worker would sit down with a child and say, okay, you know, point, show me where things happen, what happened, that sort of thing. And they use the doll as a model. And all of these sort of flashes of memory started coming back as I'm sitting there with my peers and – uh, chaperones and teachers from the school and all that, um, and, and it's just these bizarre flash, almost like I'm I'm having a nightmare, but I'm wide awake and yeah. things aren't making sense. But I've got a knot in the back of my throat and it's a knot in my stomach and my palms are sweating and my heart starts racing and I think I'm 17 and I'm about to have a heart attack. I've got to get out of this room. And so I did. I got up and I got out of the room and I got out into the hallway and I just sort of collapsed against the wall and slid down to the floor. And um, one of the teachers followed me out and you know, I was just trying to make sense of what's going on because, I, again, I'm this kid who's always had it together, been on top of the world. And so I'm trying to explain what's happening and I'm, and I'm seeing stuff and I don't know, but I'm hearing noises and – it was just the most bizarre experience ever, and I didn't know about you know in in our little corner of the world we didn't talk about mental health and we didn't talk about flashbacks or yeah. PTSD or you know any of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And um, so the teacher says it it sounds like you're having a panic attack, and did what any good little teacher uh, would do and said, why don't you go to the bathroom and splash your face with some water and come back? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh jeez. So that's that's what I did. Um, wow. Yeah, sort of got it together. And you've somehow. been fine ever since. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah, but that was a of faith in Hollywood. Uh, no. So, um, yeah, I got home that afternoon, and I try to tell my mom what's going on. And my mom and I had always been really close, total mama's boy. So go ahead and start the jokes now. Uh, <laughs> she, was just, she was always in my corner. She was my best friend. She yeah. was my, you know, my, my biggest fan. And it's the first time that in my life that I ever remember her not making eye contact when we were talking. And, you know, now I know, of course, she was ashamed um, and, and didn't know what to say and was shocked. And, you know, here's this, uh, this great big trauma, this great big secret that we thought was going to go away. And now all of a sudden, here it is in the living room. And um, so she told me what happened and um, – we prayed a prayer, and she pled the blood of Jesus over me because that's what we do, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, good, yeah. good little charismatics. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
and we didn't talk about it again. That was it. Wow. Yeah. Uh, no, maybe we should get you to talk to somebody. Maybe we should, you know, think about counseling, uh, talk to the pastor, nothing, you know, that was it. Um, and didn't talk about it again for about another 10 years. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Why, why do you think that is, why do you think that that happened that way? Is it just, she was naive about what to do? Like, wh- like looking back on it now, why do you think there was that big gap of not talking about it? Yeah, I think that we live in a culture that is permeated by fear, shame, and guilt in and out of the church. And when when you don't know what to say, and Jesus has always been the answer, and that's a great answer. Jesus is a great answer for many, many, many things. Um, But sometimes you need more than just a prayer of faith. Sometimes just a cherry pick scripture is is not enough. We are fully human, um, and we do have you know a mind, and we've got emotions, and we you know all this stuff that we're dealing with every day. And so yeah, pray, yeah, go to church, yeah, let's let's read our Bible, absolutely. But um, anybody that thinks that 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 is always going to be enough, um, God bless you, good for you. Yeah. Uh, but you know, for me now, um, many years later, I still pray and still read my Bible and do all of those things. But I also need to take some medication, and yeah. I need to go to counseling, and I need a really strong support system, and I need to be honest about the things that have wounded me mm-hmm. and not be ashamed to talk about them. I think there's this sort of misconception that if we talk about the really deep, dark things that have wounded us, that it takes away from God's healing power. Mm-hmm. And that's just not true. Yeah. Um, I think it, that for me, God has worked ordinarily in my life since then. So, yes, I, I find God in prayer and in meditation and in reading my Bible and in the sacraments. Mm-hmm. But I find God sitting on the couch in the counselor's office. Yeah, that's right. It's it's not yeah. min, it's not minimizing God when you say that like just yeah. going to church was not enough. It's yeah. we like we believe in a in a God that can do divine healing. We also Absolutely. believe in a God that provides medicine to help with healing too. So yeah. it's 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 we putting God in a box when you say that the only way you could have been healed from this trauma is just by praying this prayer or reading your Bible. That's God works in so many different ways mm-hmm. and Absolutely. I I think it's just a lot easier and safer to say, and it's and it's even sexier to say like the Jesus answer or, or well Jesus and of course yes Jesus rescues us from everything and we have hope through him and because of that grace, but God has also given us so many different avenues where we can find find healing, whereas we don't have to solely rely on church, which normally doesn't do it well anyways, <laughs> uh, yeah. or solely rely on prayer or whatever, but we can rely on him in so many different ways. Yeah, I think that if we if we limit God to you know a Benny Hinn type of healing, where it's it's just a snap of the fingers or just a you know olive oil cross on the forehead and and a miracle, yeah. most of the time that's not the way it happens. It's not certainly not the way I've seen it. Yeah, um, yep. I'm not saying it can't. It certainly can, but um, 
I think healing is a process. I look at, you know, you just look at at Jesus healing one of the blind men in the gospel, and please don't ask me which book, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the blind men. He heals, he lays his hands on the guy, and he says, what do you see? And he says, I see men that look like trees, and Jesus has to lay his hands on him again. And that always bothered me. I thought, what? why are we showing Jesus one big oops? Like, yeah. <laughs> dude, just lay hands on him one time. But, you know, now I look at it and think, well, yeah, healing is a process. You know, forgiveness is a process. There's lots of things that are a process, yeah, and yeah. that's totally okay. So, um, boy, where do we go from there? Um, yeah, yeah. So, so we did, so you yeah. you 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 talked to your mom, and then you said ten years, like then ten years, you guys didn't talk about it at all. So you have that flashback of what happened when you were a kid. Then where what happened from then on? Yeah. So I went to um, college for a few years. Um, Went to Bible college for a couple of years and was um, dealing with depression, dealing with major anxiety, having these flashbacks more often. And finally, I was 24 the first time I went to the doctor and said, I need something. I don't know what you people do, but write me something because I'm dying. Uh, I can't function at work. I can't function in class. I can't focus uh, I don't think I'm ADD, but I just can't think about anything other than this just horrible stuff that's going on in my head. Um, sometimes I just want to pull the covers over my head and not get out of bed because this is so terrible, yeah. you know. And I'm a I'm a healthy kid, you know. To look at this guy, you know, healthy kid, sleeping, eating, doing all the right stuff, but things are just not okay. I'm not okay, yeah. and. Um, so it started for me with with just my primary doctor and saying help, you know, um, and it's the first time that I'd ever said I need help, you know, um, and I, I remember breaking down, crying in her office and being humiliated, thinking, man, I'm, here I am crying in front of my doctor, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, but she did. She wrote me a, a script for an antidepressant, anti-anxiety uh, medication, and it helped. It didn't heal me. It didn't make things perfect, but boy, it helped. Um, the depression didn't completely go away. The anxiety didn't completely go away, but I could function. Yeah. And so things, um, around the age of 24 got a little better, um, for a year or two. And, and then it started getting worse again. I was a youth pastor by this time and a worship leader. And, um, I was taken. I can remember going in the the bathroom stall at the church. I would have my lunchbox. It's going to sound crazy, but go with me for a minute. <laughs> I'd have my lunchbox, and I would go in the bathroom stall at work, close and lock the stall door, and get my meds out of my lunchbox and take my meds in the bathroom stall so nobody would know. Heaven forbid anyone saw you. Yeah. yeah, because you yeah. can't. You know, I was in the world where you can't be. A Christian and have a mental health problem. Yeah. You can wow. either be Christian or you can be crazy, but you can't be both. Yeah, yeah. Um, and wow, you know, what a huge lie that is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, the, things started getting worse. The depression started getting worse. The anxiety was just out of control. Um, and uh, at the age of 28, I had um, lost my job and um, was just at the end of my rope and uh, was married, had a, a little boy who was almost a year old and full of shame, still hadn't been to counseling. All I was doing was just taking the little pill every day, you know, hoping things were going to be all right and, uh, and be able to function. Um, and just full of shame. Full, I, I hated myself. 
I didn't think I was man enough, husband enough, Christian enough, strong enough, you know, any of that. And and believe the lies that shame tells us that this is never going to get better. This is only going to get worse, you know. Um, and I think the the biggest issue that I had when I when I really became suicidal was that I thought everyone else would be better off without me. Oh wow. Yeah. 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 That when you reach that point, that's hopeless. Mm-hmm. That's hopeless. I had plenty of times where I'm driving down the interstate and think, you know, I could just run this truck into the overpass and people would think it was an accident. Um, but this particular time I'd lost my job. I'd um, gotten a, a two week contract job. My day job is a sign language interpreter. I didn't add that in the list of things I do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my day job is a sign language interpreter and I'd, I'd gotten a two week contract job out of town, a couple hours from home. And so I'm just, you know, on the brink of just losing it and having a meltdown two hours from home, living in a hotel room every night by myself, hours and hours to just sit and think about how terrible life is. And I'm in what Brene Brown calls a shame spiral and, and just, you know, all of these terrible thoughts and self-hatred. And, um, I finally decided, you know what, I'm far enough away that my wife won't find my body. And, if I'm going to do it, this is, this is it. And she's young and she's beautiful and she can remarry and start over. And my little boy's tiny and he won't remember. And that's the way I rationalized it. And, you know, we sit here and listen to it now and go, God, wow, it's terrible. You know, yeah. It doesn't make sense. Oh my gosh, you just needed some help. Yeah. But at that time with no help, you know, 28 years old and still no counseling, um, that's where I was at. So, so, so the people closest to you, like your wife or your closest friends, your mom, your 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 family, were did they notice these things? Were they did did they ever like talk to you about it? Did they ever say, "Hey, Steve, it seems like there's something there's something going on." D- did anybody notice? So Lindsay knew I was taking meds. Um, I unfortunately the side effect of the particular med I was on was weight gain. So I had gained like 30 pounds and let me tell you something on a five foot seven frame. That's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, she knew I was on meds. Uh, we talked about it, but there was in this little Christian bubble that I was in, there was nowhere to talk about it. It was, you know, Hey man, choose joy. You know, um, we're praying for you, you know, uh, let me, let me send you some scriptures, read the Psalms, that kind of stuff. There was never, no one ever said, man, we should set you up with a, with a counselor. You should go see a psychologist, a psychiatrist, you know, none of that. There was never an option. So people, people noticed, but they didn't know how to help. Instead of, of, of encouraging you to go to see a psychologist or, or, or a counselor or whoever, they just said, pray more. Yeah, that was it. Was always the Jesus answer. Let's take yeah. the magic Jesus pill, and, and things are suddenly going to be better. And you, those people want to help. It's, oh, it's, sure, they're uh, well-meaning. Yeah, absolutely well-meaning. They don't, unfortunately, they don't know any better. Yeah, they, they seem um, they don't seem like they're equipped. Yeah, that's exactly right. Most churches aren't, and unfortunately, it, most. Um, most primary care physicians aren't equipped. You, yeah, pastors yeah. and primary care physicians are the 
the two, the number one places where somebody's going to go when they're in crisis mode, they're going to go see their family doctor or they're going to go see their pastor. Mm -hmm. And both of those usually Mm -hmm. don't really know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel that way a lot of times because I, I deal with people in similar situations a lot of times. And, and I always say right away, I, I am not professionally trained in this. I, I don't know the right things to say, but I'll get you to somebody who does and and I'll find somebody. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> that's, that's all you have to do. I will drive you to the counselor's yeah. office. I'll, you know, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. If churches started by just having a referral network, yeah. here's the list of all the counselors. Here's the list of all the psychiatrists, whatever, in, you know, in the, in a three city area, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, just a list. If you just had something to be able to say, let's get you someone who can yeah. help. Yeah. And what actually I discovered was I, I made a phone call recently and, and when I talked to the, the office, the counseling office, and I explained, I said, look, I'm a pastor. I don't really know what to do here. I need some help. And they were willing to do whatever it took. Like they were, they went above and beyond. They said, okay, look, we get it. Tell us, tell us how we can help. Tell us what we can do, what number we can call, like those sort of things. And the, the counseling office definitely knew how to help me help somebody else, which That's was fantastic. super helpful for me. <laughs> like I was, I was very relieved. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, a lot of times that's all you need is just to say, you know what, I don't have all the answers, and that's totally okay. But I'm gonna I'm gonna find help for you. Um, it's a huge, you know, if if churches just had the crisis line number, you know, the 800 number, um, they're at the front desk with the secretary. You know, I mean, something as simple as that is a great place to start. Yeah, right? and I think a lot of times when it comes to pastors or church, there's a sense of pride of. This should be oh, the yeah. one-stop shop when it comes to Absolutely. healing. So yep. if someone comes to me, I'm not referring you anywhere because I have the cure. It's Jesus. Here it is. Um, where and that's just that's just pride thinking that we know everything, um, and and thinking that we can that that what we're even doing is is the thing that's saving people or or curing people. Mm-hmm. It's it's having a the more the more I grow in my faith and the more I, I learn more about Jesus, the the more I'm pushing myself down and trying to be more humble because that's all I see Jesus doing is being humble, humble and yeah. make it less about me. And sometimes it's like, well, I don't know, so here's I'll find you someone that does know. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. Yeah. So so you're in the hotel room and uh, and you're thinking about taking your own life. What what happens next? So yeah, I did. Um, wow. I uh, attempted anyway. I um, took all of the prescription meds that I had. I uh, went to, um, gosh, two or three different pharmacies in town. I bought some Tylenol PM at one place and some other stuff at another place. I didn't want people to think, "What is this guy? Why is he? Why is this guy yeah, buying yeah. four bottles of you know?" Right. Um, I didn't want anybody to be tipped off because I was, you know, you when you hear about people who try to die by suicide, um, especially when it's a younger person. They say, oh, it's just a cry for help. It's just a cry for attention, whatever. Um, With me, I had never attempted before, and I was determined to die. I was determined to, to end it. I was, you know, the other thing people talk about is, you know, if somebody, um, if somebody kills themselves, do they go to hell? And I think, man, if they do, they've already been there. They're very familiar. Wow. Um, living with untreated, undiagnosed um, mental illness, it is a living hell every day. So, um, yeah, so I, I 
um, first tried to hang myself in the hotel bathroom. Um, and the shower rod broke. Um, I remember falling and smacking that tub, my lower back. Um, I still have problems with it from time to time. It was out actually last week for about three days. Yeah. Um, so that didn't work. And, and so I crushed up tens of thousands of milligrams of medication into a couple of cups of hot tea and drank to my death. Um, and woke up about 24 hours later in an ICU room. The, uh, it was the last day of the, the contract job where I was working. And, um, when I didn't show up, one of the clients started getting concerned and, um, got in touch with the agency I'd contracted with, who got in touch with my wife, who said, I don't know. He's been very depressed. Um, somebody should go check his hotel room. And, um, so the hotel staff came to check the hotel room. I didn't respond. They called the police and then they found me. You yeah. Said, you said it was the it was the last day of your job. Yeah. So if you did it the next day, if you did it I'd, a day later, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. So so you woke up in the in the ICU um and like who was there and what was like your first initial thoughts from there? I was mad as hell. Can I say that? Can I say mad yeah, as hell on the cruise, on, on the to. not your mother's <laughs> yeah. Sorry, mom. Um, but yeah, I was. I was. I was furious because I thought you've got to be kidding me. There's no way that I took. I mean, I took every precaution. I read articles. I I was totally intending to die, and here I am. And there's my wife, and there's my wife's best friend. I'm numb from the waist down. Uh, am I going to be a vegetable the rest of my life? This is not funny. Yeah. You know, um, if I didn't already feel like a failure, if I didn't already hate myself, I'm such a screw up that I can't even get a suicide, right? That's, that's pretty bad. And, um, my wife who is God love her. She's the sweetest human being and believes the best in everybody. And she said, honey, what happened? Did you get your meds mixed up? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Said, babe. No, I, I, I didn't say babe. I've yeah. screamed. <laughs> I, I don't want to be here. I, I tried to kill myself. And I remember that was the first time I tried to talk and my throat felt like razor blades. Um, because they, you know, they had to pump my stomach, and so all of that, you know, um, oh, it hurt to swallow. Um, but her best friend was there, and they—I remember—they had to go back to the hotel to get my stuff. And um, her best friend, who was a dear friend of mine too, um, I remember she sat down and she had my belt in her hand, and she said, "If I ever have to get your belt." off the shower rod ever again you better hope you're dead and she's just crying you know yeah. uh yeah it was it was terrible it was it was absolutely awful um so i spent three days there couldn't feel my legs for the first three days um they weren't sure if my liver was going to fail that's why i stayed in icu um had a catheter which is a joy boys let me just tell you that's <laughs> uh yeah um was transferred from there immediately to the psych ward and stayed on the psych ward for a week. And, um, boy, that's an experience. Yeah. Um, 
getting in a wheelchair, the orderly pushing you down the hall. And of course the psych ward's in the basement, right? Because <laughs> where else would the psych ward be, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. So you're down in the bowels of the hospital and I remember that giant brown metal door that it felt like it was three feet thick, you know, and it slammed behind me and latched. And I thought, well, this is it. This is, this is what the rest of my life is going to look like. Um, so I spent seven, seven days there. And, um, for a long time, I, I longingly referred to it as the arts and crafts floor. It was like uh, VBS for for a oh, wow. <laughs> stable adults. Yeah, uh, <laughs> three meals a day, take a nap, uh, cut out pictures and words from magazines and glue it on paper and talk about your feelings. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was quite an experience. But in that, it took me about three years after the fact to look back and go, oh man. I think I'm starting to get what that was all about because it felt pointless at the time. Yeah. Um, but we were learning to eat right, to get good sleep. Uh, we could only call very, very few approved people on our list. So we're having to have boundaries. Um, we're talking about our feelings. A lot of us for the first time in our lives, mm-hmm. are you sad, mad, happy or glad, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, these days, I think, man, if the church looked a little more like the psych ward, what a great thing would that be? Oh, you wow. know, if yeah. we are coming at, at, you know, these are people at the end of their rope who are feeling hopeless and we're sitting around talking about the things that actually matter. Mm. What if the church looked like that? Yeah, that's a, that sounds, I, it sounds so simple, but it, it makes sense. At the same time of what you're saying, and and I think a lot of times as a church, we we can complicate things to the point of, uh, you know, if somebody's going through a difficult time, and instead we give a theological answer instead of a instead of a, a an answer that makes sense in the situation that the person is in, and it and it doesn't help people, but it confuses people even more. So yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, and and just think about it just from the beginning, day one. Mm-hmm. Mary shows up at your church at the end of her rope, single mom, four kids, working three jobs, trying to pay the bills. She is completely hopeless, and she shows up, and you say, come just as you are. Mm-hmm. But within two weeks, we want to know what committee are you going to serve on? Are you going to volunteer in the nursery? Would you like to teach a Sunday school class? And yeah. she's going, oh, my God, I'm just trying to hold it together. Yeah. You know? Uh, and I understand. We need help, you know? But, oh, man, I, I don't think that we as a church understand just how much pain there is in our pews sometimes. I think we forget. Yeah. It's it's easy, and this is easy for us to do too since being pastors, um, it's easy to think about when someone comes because like some of the things we want people to do is to serve, uh, like like you kind of said, and like to give and to invite, and that and that's showing signs of growing in your faith and being a disciple and a follower of Jesus. But it can get to a point where we're so concerned on that, and it becomes about how we how people can help the organization of the church, instead of the churches in the body of Christ helping people that need it in whatever way it looks like. Because it's easy for us to go, okay, you 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 came and you you came two times, so you th- we think you like it, so now you're gonna get your phone call. Now we want you to encourage you to go to small group. Now we want you to do this, and we're doing that because we want to help people, but it's. If we have just a straight policy and every person has to go through the same thing, then all of a sudden we're not 
actually helping people. We're just trying to make our organization better. Yeah. Instead of looking at everyone in an individual level and seeing what, like, because some people, they need that. They need, okay, well, now that you're here, hey, you need community because we everyone needs community and, and we're really lacking it nowadays too. So some people need to encourage them to go to a small group pretty quick. But other people, instead of saying, hey, serve in nursery, it's like, hey, how can we help you? Like, how... Like it's it's looking yeah. at people at an individual basis, not of how this individual can help the organization. Yeah, yeah, we've got. I think that sometimes we treat the church sort of like we do, uh, like Old Navy. You know, Old Navy's got their scheme, their schematic, and the Old Navy in Birmingham is the same as the Old Navy in Indianapolis, right? Yeah, yeah. And but if we would not treat people just like you're saying, if we would just look at each person as an individual, um, and learn their story rather than just, you know, being all about the production and all about the numbers and not every church is all about the production and the numbers, but I just think we have to be careful. That's all I'm saying. Please don't hear me bashing. No, it is easy for every church to fall into that trap at times because, at the heart of it, when you're thinking about people going to small group or going to or serving, it's not because we we just want to help the organization. Like I want people to serve because I know it's better. It's it helps them sure. in their growth. So, yeah. but it's just easy to get to a point where you just figure out a system that works for most people. So you assume it works for everybody. Yeah. So that that's the danger that comes into play. That you just have to realize that at times the system that that works pretty well doesn't work for everybody. So we have to take it all at an individual basis, yeah. which can be hard because then you're changing things up. But it's it's too important, and people that are coming that that need help. Like imagine if if when you talk to your church, they actually gave you the help you needed instead of just oh, yeah. just pray or whatever. So there's people that are coming to us as at a, as a church. So. I know it's hard, but we we can't afford to get it wrong because no. there's people's lives at stake when we do. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's what changed for me after the fact coming home. I, I remember Lindsay picking me up and that two-hour drive home and thinking, what do I do now? And will I ever be able to go to church again? And let me tell you what changed me. Uh guy that I had met when I was a youth pastor. Um, he was um, a worship leader, and he had a, a traveled with a band. And um, he reached out to me and said, hey, let's, let's go to Starbucks. I just want to check on you. I just want to hang out. He'd invite me to church. Mm-hmm. He just said, let's go get a cup of coffee. And we sat down at Starbucks. He didn't bring his Bible. He just sat with me, just friends. There was no agenda other than I care about you. I want to know how you are. Tell me how I can help. I don't know what to do, but if you'll tell me what to do, I'll do what I can. Mm -hmm. And he didn't tell me to choose joy. He just – he offered me his friendship and gave me the opportunity to tell my story and not feel like I had to dance around the details. But he said, look, just tell it. Tell me what's going on. And I wasn't afraid that he was going to reject me. I wasn't – I didn't have to dress it up with churchy lingo. Um, and because of that, we went to his church, um, which was clear across town, but two towns over, um, for a year. And he never asked me to sing a solo, to play the piano, to teach a Sunday school class, to volunteer on a youth – nothing. Nothing. 
For a whole year, we sat. We would show up late. We would leave early. <laughs> we're coming in on song number two, and we're leaving during the prayer. Yeah. <laughs> but it's all that I could do. I couldn't play church. I couldn't put on the smiles. I was completely shattered and broken, and all I needed was just a just a safe place, just a safe place yeah. to lay my head. I mean, you you look at um, – you look at Jesus in the Message Bible, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn, this is my favorite line, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And that's what Ben did for me that day. He just invited me into friendship. And then, after we built that foundation of friendship, said, why don't you just come hang out at the church? Why don't you just come sit? Just come heal. Mm -hmm. And so we did that for a whole year, and it changed my life. Wow. Your friend came to you at the level that you needed them, not not – Asking you to do anything, but just came to you where, where you were. We were equal. The same way God sent His Son for us. Not saying this is what you need to do in order to earn grace, but this is I'm sending my Son to you at your level to save you, the today you, not the the person you hope to be one day, the yeah. person you are today. So yeah. that I mean, what He did is the gospel yeah. without ever talking about church or the Bible or anything. Yeah. It's, it's Brennan Manning saying, God loves you as you are and not as you should be because you will never be as you should be. Mm-hmm. It's that. It's So I think going back to earlier in this conversation, you know, I'm a pastor and I don't really know. I have people come to me and I don't really know what to do. I think it's knowing your place, knowing that I don't need you to be my psychiatrist because hopefully I've already got one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need you to try and fix me. I don't even necessarily need – for you to understand me. I'd love for you to try, but I don't necessarily need for you to get it. I just need for you to sit with me if I'm sad and don't tell me to choose joy. If I'm hurting, if I don't have any words to explain any of it, just be with me. And you can tell me that Jesus loves me all day long. That's great. But if you show me that love, you show me that acceptance by your actions. Oh man, I'm really going to believe it then. Because that's, that's, I think that's what people need more than anything else. People need friendship. They need to have their story validated. And and again, it goes back again. Another thing we were saying earlier, that that doesn't diminish the power of God or the power of Christian brotherhood or any of that. But it just says, because I love God so much and I'm so convinced that God loves me so much, I'm going to love you the same way. That's right. No strings attached. Yeah. That's 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 the way it should be, and um, and it's it's crazy to hear your story and where you've come from and 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 where you currently are, and uh, and if you had the opportunity, if somebody's listening right now, and if you had the opportunity to who somebody who is in a similar place to where you were, who has feels lost, hopeless, like there's like there's nothing out there for them, what what would you say to them if you were in a room with them one on one? I would say exactly what Jesus said to me in that ICU room day one. 
So I've never hated myself more. Uh, never felt like more of a failure. I can't feel my legs from the waist down. Um, I have blown it. I don't know if my wife is going to stay with me. Uh, I don't know if we're going to have a kid that is going to think my dad is crazy one day and never want to have a relationship with me. Um, I certainly don't believe that God is ever going to give me another chance. And I feel this, and y'all can call me crazy if you want to, but I feel this warm hand on my chest and I hear God whisper in my ear, I'm not finished with you yet. So I would turn around and say the same thing. Don't give up. Yeah. Hold on. Ask for help. Say what you need. And know that grace is so much more than just this famous hymn that we sing on Sunday mornings. That grace is messy. It is not always white and clean and spotless and beautiful, but grace is gets down in the mud and the muck in the pig pen with the yeah. prodigal son right. and and woos us back to the Father's heart that has always loved us, that has always been present with us in every trial, in every experience, good, bad, ugly, terrible, yeah. that God meant it when he said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God is love. God is equals love. God is the equivalent of love. Where you find God, you find total love and grace and acceptance. Hmm. Just hold on one more day. That's it. Dude, dude you're like you're like pumping me up right now. Yeah. I, feel like, I feel like I'm in church right now. Yeah. You want to preach wow. church on Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to cry out some uh, amens, hallelujahs yeah. in the middle. Yeah. But so uh you sent us one of your like Twenty books. How many books have you written? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's, I think there's four. Yeah, or there's three and one on the way. Oh, I think there's four and one on the way. Whatever. Um, but you, you said a self care for the wounded soul, which we really, really enjoyed. How, what, how? I mean, you kind of, you told us your story, which I know led to you writing this book. Um, but, but we really, really enjoyed just kind of the way it was written. It was a super easy read, and it was just something that like. It's it's simple truths in some of the chapters, yeah. Um, but it's like simple truths that we all forget, like kind of like yep. we've been talking about. So, what led you to to get this point to 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 write this book? Self care changed my life. Um, you know, before the suicide attempt, I was I was busy. I was busier than I am now. The difference is. I was so busy before and my worth and my value and everything I was was caught up in what I was doing. And now I know who I am. I have connected with the truth of my being, and that is that God calls me his beloved. And so that's it. So my my purpose in life is loving God, being loved by God, loving my neighbor, and everything else is just bonus. It's just all bonus content. So self-care says, hey man, take a breath. (laughs) Take a day off. It is okay to take a mental health day. Don't tell your boss. It's okay to take a (laughs) mental health day. You know, we are, my God, people our age are married, probably got a couple kids, working a job, maybe working a couple jobs. If you're, (coughs) 
doing a church plant, you're, I guarantee you're working <laughs> another job. It is, it is exhausting. Most of us, sleep deprivation is chronic in our country. Nobody gets enough sleep. Nobody drinks enough water. I mean, those are just the basics. Yeah. But, but self-care just says, my life matters too. And if I'm going to be the husband, father, pastor, employee, friend that I need to be, I should, not I get to, but I should take care of myself too. That's right. So yeah, so that book, it, it talks about boundaries and it talks about, uh, oh my gosh, all sorts of things. It, it, here's the thing. Everybody's recovering from something. Some of those things, Things seem small. Some of those things seem huge and traumatic, but we're all recovering from something. And so self-care just – it gives you permission to be human, and that book gives you, like you said, simple, practical ways to to care for your soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I the, – the burnout one is huge for me, yeah. and it's something that like – like six, it was like six or seven years ago. I remember I, I was married and I had one kid, and I was working in another church, which was a church plant. We were a mobile church, so I was working forty hours a week during the week. We would get there Friday night to set up. Saturday morning we would finish setting up. We had church Saturday night, church Sunday morning. Then I led youth group Sunday night. Then tore it all down. I every, remember those days. Yeah, every week with a yeah. kid, and I got to the point where I went to my pastor and said, I. I'm going to lose my wife and kids if I keep going this way. I can't yep. do it. And, Good for you. And luckily, I had a pastor who went through that, and, and his wife said something to him at one point, like, I think I think you love me, and I think you love my kids. Uh, I think you love our kids, but I don't know if I actually feel it. And you really like to work. And, and so he knows what the, the danger of burnout. So when I went to him, he was like, all right, here's our, let's figure out a plan here. And we, we figured out a plan when it came to that. And now in the process of life now, I like I at times I look up to people like like um The Rock. I mean you're you're a Steve Austin guy. So the <laughs> The Rock is like notoriously known for working his butt off. Yeah. And yeah. at times I'm like, man, why can't I work like that guy? Yeah. Like he gets like three hours of sleep and he works out every day and Yeah, and, and he's not married and he doesn't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> I think he has yeah. kids. Does he? Uh, I think so. He was married. Yeah. I don't know if he's married. Anyways, it's We'll we'll interview the Rock next week, um, <laughs> but so it's it's easy to like glorify that like work hard work hard work hard and you feel um, you almost feel like you're you're hurting yourself if you take a day off. Yeah, that, that's kind of what the world tells you. They always it always needs more from you. Where yeah. where you talk about it in in that book and and it's such a simple thing, but it's we need to just take a breath. I mean, take a Sabbath day if we want to make it Christian, right? Or just yes. take a breath and not burn ourselves out by doing too much stuff because there's always something there's always else. something if our churches succeed but we lose our family then we failed yep. as as our as ministers because our top ministry is our family that's right so so if if we are just working so hard for that then and we're not doing self-care which is why I really enjoyed how practical and easy it was for in your book to just to to practice self-care because it's so important and a lot of times that's pushed to the back burner for everything else yeah yeah for yeah. sure yeah, that's good. Thank you. But so, so Steve, um, we man, we we could I can honestly talk to you for like hours at this yeah. point. But yeah. um, you have another book coming out. Give us a, just a just a little taste of what is coming because we want to eventually have you come back and talk about the book. So don't give too much away. Just a little <laughs> teaser on the book that you have coming out. 
I'm excited about this one. This is the book I was born to write. This is the book that if if I had slowed down writing the first book, which was From Pastor to a Psych Ward, which is yeah. everything pretty much that we've talked about tonight, um, this is the book I would have written. So it's called Catching Your Breath, The Sacred Journey from Chaos to Calm. Mm. And it is – it's sort of 50-50 personal narrative and then practical, actionable tips from – former pastor and now life coach. Um, people come every time I sign up a new client, I'm blown away that even if they show up and spirituality is not at the top of what they want to talk about, it always comes up always. Yeah. And so this is, this book is, it is not a Christian book. It is not a theological book. It is a book about people who are completely overwhelmed and, just want to come up for air. Um, but there's everyday spirituality woven throughout the whole thing. And I ugh, I just, I cannot wait for that. It's awesome. driving me nuts to have to hold it till <laughs> the fall. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so we talked about it before before people heard it, but um, you, you are currently raising money for, for this book, right? So how could people, if they, if they want to help um, you when it comes to getting this book out, how can they do that? Oh, man, I would love that. Um, so the best way to stay in touch with me, and this is where everything will be announced and all that, is to go to my website, which is IamSteveAustin.com. Don't Google Steve Austin <laughs> because you will not find the one you need. You <laughs> will not. That out. Yep. If you go to IamSteveAustin.com, which I tried to find the most narcissistic web domain ever, uh, <laughs> but IamSteveAustin.com, that's my site. Um, and all the information is there. But I, yeah, I'm launching a Kickstarter the first week of April. I just recorded the videos uh, for it last week. And so hopefully I will have those videos by Friday and we'll get it launched. Um, I'm hoping for the 2nd of April. So yeah, launching a a Kickstarter, trying to raise $5,600 to do this book right. Um, and market it well and all of it. I think this is a book that's going to change people's lives. I really, I mean, I, I believe in this book more than anything. And I just, I know, what it is to feel completely overwhelmed and need a resource that gives me permission to come from the deep end up to the shallow end and take a breath. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, I would, I would love for people to, to support the Kickstarter. There's all sorts of really cool rewards from uh, pre-ordering the ebook, pre-ordering the paperback, life coaching sessions, autographed copies of my books, coming on as a guest or a co-host on my podcast. There's all sorts of really cool rewards on there. So that will be up very soon. That's awesome. awesome. And yeah. just from, from reading uh, your self-care book to hearing your story and just seeing how what the lows of life and where god has has taken you from there yeah. to to some of the stuff that you're doing dude you you are it's an inspiration you, you are yeah you're you're definitely an inspiration to a lot of people that are listening to to myself and to, and to shane and yep. um yeah i would definitely Thank encourage you. anyone's listening to it if they can to pre-order it or or do whatever to, to help because um yeah dude we we're we're um I'm I'm just so happy to hear your story and to just get to know you a little better and and read your book. So yeah. we we just we're excited to what for what God's doing through you and 
we're excited for what's coming up next for you. And thank you for being so honest and transparent and being willing to share your story, which uh, I'm sure is difficult to do. I'd, uh, but for you to be, be being able to actually come on and, and share everything and write books about it to help other people is really a testament to, to how awesome God is and what God's been doing in your life. And, uh, I, and I think that should only encourage other people to share your story that it's not, it, you shouldn't be embarrassed or ashamed of what you've experienced in life, but instead be willing to talk about it with other people to, to help other people. So we, we really appreciate all of your transparency. Thank you. Yeah, it's true. I think if, if I could give any last encouragement for somebody that the only difference between the secrets that are eating you alive and owning your story is just telling it. If yeah. you learn to just speak your story, Brene Brown talks about it, that shame can't survive being spoken. It can't survive being exposed to the light. And you can take that as spiritual and theological as you want to. But if you have secrets that are eating you alive, find somebody, some safe place where you can talk about it and begin to heal. And it will change your life because it has literally saved my life. Yeah. Yeah, wow. That's awesome. So again, if, if you want to hear find out more about Steve Austin, go to Austin316.com. <laughs> <laughs> no, go to IamSteveAustin.com, right? That's yeah. it. Yep. Okay. It. And you find all the information there. Check out his books, podcasts, um, his paintings. I'm sure you do that. Like whatever else <laughs> <Sure>. you do. <laughs> but Steve, thank you so much for, yeah, for joining us. It was it was a lot of fun. Oh, thank you guys. I had so much fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Not Your Mama's Christian Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a nice review. To support the podcast, you can go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash nymchristianpodcast. Music provided by The Revived. Check them out at therevivedmusic.com. Stay connected with us by liking us on Facebook and following us on Twitter and Instagram.